0: there were no bullet holes in the center for the most part it was mostly in the wings and they were saying okay let's reinforce the wings and then uh mathematicians said uh you know hey maybe there are no bullet holes in the middle because those planes are not coming back because those are where you know if you get shot there you know the plane is done maybe we should reinforce every area where there isn't bullet holes it should be the exact opposite and uh and then they did that and that made a big difference so it's kind of the same thing with inspection
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to another session of Sellers Speak and it's been a while. So uh, today we're going to talk about quality control and quality inspections which I think is a very important topic to talk about currently because since product launch is coming up in like the next couple of months and I'm sure people are sourcing right now. So this is a perfect topic for you to understand uh, how you can get the best quality products for your launch and for your Amazon FBA business. Coming to today's speaker, let's all welcome Sajak Agarwal. Hi Sajak.
0: Hey Ria, thanks so much for having me on.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure for us. So let me introduce Sajak. Sajak is a former seven-figure Amazon seller. So his story is very interesting. So um, in 2015, he grew his first e-commerce business and then... Uh, you were like really tired of the bad quality product that you were getting. So he moved to China for a couple of months, like five months, I think, uh, six months. And then um he was like, you know what, I'm going to work on the floor and see how quality controls happen. And he started seeing that and he realized that how poorly the quality uh, control or quality inspections are done. And then just tell me a story. And that's how he founded Movely. So Sajak, how did that go?
0: Awesome. Yeah, Thanks so much for the introduction, <laughs> Ria. Yeah, so uh, yeah, back in about 2017, I moved to Shenzhen, China for six months and I lived there and it was pretty crazy. So basically working 12 to 16 hour days on the factory floor, watching my products get produced and uh, actually kind of doing my own quality control inspections. And uh, at one point I actually saw my inspector, um, he was supposed to spend about nine hours at the factory, spent about three hours and basically just forged a bunch of results on the inspection. So just uh, altogether, not a very great experience. And uh, about a year or two later, that's when I founded Mauvely. And uh, so what Mauvely essentially does is we do quality control inspections for e-commerce sellers. Our tagline is an entire quality control team for the price of an inspection. So uh, that's a little bit about us, but yeah, so it's de- it's definitely been a, quite a journey because if you ever asked me or told me, you know, 10 years later, you know, when you were working on e-commerce, you'd be in supply chain and I'd be like, you know, you're crazy, I would never be in supply chain. That's too boring, but here I am. <laughs>
1: Oh, no, I think that happens to everyone. You know, when I was joining, um, when I was coming to the world of e-commerce and when I thought, you know, well... You know, it's a lot about trading and businesses. That's going to be boring. And once I started reading, I'm like, whoa, this is fun. This is creative. And I think it happens to all of us. And I'm so glad that, you know, we are talking all about Amazon right now. So, um, just so you all know what we're going to be talking about today, we are going to be talking about, uh, how does one talk to the factory to ensure sellers? How do you communicate to your supplier properly? Uh, sample sizes and customer reviews. And Sajak himself will be telling us how he deals with Problems that Amazon sellers face themselves see uh because he's formerly a seven figure seller, so I think it comes the best from him. So to start the session, um we just had uh you know A session on monday last monday we went live and we were talking about how important it is to start sourcing from your home country right now uh because you know quality control and quality inspection is getting really harder for people because going to china and or going to any other country that you're sourcing from is getting difficult so how does one ensure that you get uh, the perfect products and you get quality tested in this current climate that is COVID, if your factory is somewhere other than your home country
0: yeah, it's a really good question. COVID has made supply chain crazy, <laughs> uh, just in a nutshell. So like what we've seen in China, for example, was like back in March when COVID was just starting, a lot of factories were switching to PPE manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So all the production lines were changing. Uh, workers, a lot of them were not coming back. So they were under capacity. The production lines had to change for social distancing. So it created this huge problem. And even now with COVID, like there's lockdowns that are happening in different cities at different times. And that's been really problematic just because in China, you know, the supply chain is distributed. So even if your product is being, you know, manufactured in Shenzhen, for example, the raw materials for your products come from all around China. So when there's a lockdown in a certain region, maybe like, let's say, you know, Wuhan, when Wuhan lockdown, I believe they had a lot of chemical manufacturing in Wuhan. So if you have like nonstick pans or anything that has like a chemical coating, uh, your supplier had to find different suppliers. Those were probably over on over capacity. So then they had to go, you know, they might have to go for a little bit of cheaper quality product. So it created this huge disruption that ended up, you know, affecting the final quality of the products and changing a lot of things around. So really the best way to kind of ensure that your products are of quality in COVID is again, you know, making sure that you're doing inspections on every single order. That's a standard process that every seller should follow and every Fortune 500 company even to this day follows, they have their own in-house teams or they hire a third party to do that. Uh, and also just working with your supplier. I think that's a really underrated thing, talking with your supplier that, hey, you know, every time you're doing a production order, maybe it's like today, you know, maybe two months back, you you can talk with your supplier and say, hey, you know, are, any, are there any COVID disruptions? Are there anything, is there anything going wrong that you'd be concerned about? And uh, talk with them and ask them, you know, are, are the raw materials the same? And your supplier, more than likely than not, is going to be very transparent about it. And they're going to say, okay, hey, yeah, our raw materials change. Like we chose a different supplier. We're concerned about this. We're not concerned about this. And you can kind of zoom in in different areas and make sure that, you know, those spaces are all covered uh, when you're working on the manufacturing side. So really kind of look at things from a partnership perspective with your supplier and then make sure that you're verifying them. You're holding them accountable through processes like quality control inspections and uh checks and then also make sure that you're monitoring your feedback really closely your uh, your reviews and also uh your returns and your warranty claims you know make sure that you know they're spiking up you bring that to attention of the supplier you you make sure you're doing effective uh, inspections which i think talk a little bit about on how to set those up and um but yeah those all together can really set up a good supply chain you know so regardless of covid regardless of what's going on uh you can try and eliminate a lot of that risk
1: Yeah, that is so true. And good quality products are something which are so important to Amazon sellers because they can affect their reviews on Amazon. And as we've spoken about in the past and we saw last year, that Amazon has made it so difficult for negative reviews to get removed now. So I think it is time for sellers to make sure that their products are of good quality. And that's why we are having this session to begin with. So yes, and coming to the next question, it's all about communicating, you see. So how does one communicate effectively to the, uh, you know, factory person there? Because I understand there's a lot of um, jargons that come into picture and a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, like words lost in translation, one might say. So how does one tackle that?
0: That's a really good question. So when it comes to communication and communicating with your suppliers, it's really, really critical. So one of the biggest things I would say is make it consistent. So don't go to your supplier, you know, every few months or every few weeks, like irregularly and tell them, okay, hey, you know, we're having these problems or whatever. Uh, kind of keep them in the loop of what's going on. So one of the best ways to do that is just like, for example, if you have negative reviews uh, that come in, maybe every month send it to your supplier and say, hey, we've sold X number of units this month and these are our negative reviews. So they're kind of, you know, with you on the train that, you know, hey, you're selling products, you're moving them and uh, we sold a thousand of your units today, but, you know, here's some concerns, you know, this is our customers are reporting back. It's making it hard for us to sell and uh, i think the other way that's really really beneficial is that you know especially in china it always uh you know if you do have the ability you know do hire a translator you know you can find one on upwork you can find one online if you have a translator that speaks the local language it can really help clear up a lot of miscommunication a lot of inconsistencies uh you know as they happen so that's something i'd highly recommend and that's something we do internally as well so we have our team that speaks english our inspectors that also speak English, but when something goes wrong, maybe inspectors don't fully understand something, or there's a question, we have an expert translator that can actually translate, you know, a really high level of English uh, from, you know, really good English to really good Chinese uh, that we bring in as a specialist anytime needed. So that definitely helps and makes a huge difference uh, to manage that communication.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so I think a lot of companies need to focus on how to make Amazon sellers journey more easier. Seller App does it. We have sourcing tool powered by Alibaba and we also have a lot of tools that help Amazon sellers simplify their journey because if you're an Amazon seller, I'm sure that if you are locked into your seller central account, there are so many things happening there, especially as a beginner seller, it gets so complicated. So that's where uh, companies like Seller App and mostly come into and then they help uh, sellers make the most out of their Amazon journey and just make a tiny bit of the journey easier because um, there's so many challenges that an Amazon seller faces and we're going to be talking about that in the later of the session. So one of the main uh, challenges that I've noticed is um, getting reviews. So getting reviews is a very hard task and especially when you get negative reviews it gets even more tougher. So how are Amazon customers review affected by the quality of the product? Cedric.
0: Yeah, it's definitely pretty critical. So a lot of people don't really think about this. But, you know, if you have like an inspection and say you do, you find a 2% defect rate on your product, you know, on a general product category on Amazon, you're going to only see maybe a 2% product review rate. So for every 100 sales, you're going to get two reviews. And uh, some product categories, even 1%, you know, some are a little bit higher if you're lucky, but you know, some are even lower than that. So if you have like a 2% product review rate, and you have a 2% defect rate, then almost all of your reviews are going to be negative and or you're going to have like you know two negative reviews for every one or two positive reviews. And that's essentially product suicide and that makes a very, very big difference. So that also plays into the inspection process uh, because when you actually do an inspection, a lot of people are a little bit confused on sample sizes, choosing a sample size, which uh, I think we'll get into a little bit more. But that's kind of the same thing that goes into place. So, you know, you have to test enough units to make sure that you're identifying those defects before they happen, uh, the, that preventative maintenance. And then when those reviews do happen, uh, you know, obviously work very swiftly to address them. One of the things that I really advise like all of our clients do and, you know, everybody listening, even if you're not our client, um, you know, to actually go in and create like a little bit of a feedback loop. So every time you have a customer review or return warranty claim, you know, customer complaint on on your um uh seller messaging factor that into maybe like an excel spreadsheet per skew and kind of log you know hey this is the date it happened this is what happened this was the resolution or something like that Uh, so that way you can kind of keep track of the problems you have with each product which products are having the most problems which products are having the least problems be able to recycle that back and actually use the inspection process to improve your product quality not just make sure that it's good uh from the get-go
1: uh, yeah, and I think uh, Amazon is also limiting the buyer seller messaging. So you have to be very careful when it comes to review. And I have seen a lot of Amazon sellers, especially, you know, in my team, we have seen a lot of sellers who are like, uh, we get a lot of negative reviews because our product quality is bad. And I'm like, if your product quality is bad, be true to yourself and reduce your price. I mean, if you're selling a product, let's say for like $25 and if your quality is really bad, I mean, you will get a bad review, but if you're, you cannot do anything about the quality, then reduce your prices. I mean, that's all there's to do then. So I think be true to your, uh, customers so um i think this is the part where we speak about the checklist so a checklist is really important you know when you're going through the entire process of getting um your products quality checked so sajak here is here to make your life easier so sajak let's have a checklist that seller can follow uh point by point so they have the entire process simplified
0: Yeah, that's definitely a very in-depth question and we'll dive in. Uh, so yeah, and kind of as you're going just real quick about the negative reviews, there's definitely a lot of spillover effects. So you do have to be very, very careful because if you're lowering your price, you're not able to compete, then you have to change your branding. So, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. So you don't want to commit product suicide. So you want to make sure that, you know, you get the products checked and get everything running. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the process, like, A lot of people have this misconception that, you know, your inspection company is kind of like a god. So it's like, if you get a past inspection, your inspection company has put their stamp of approval on your products, like it's going to be amazing quality. And um, if they, if it's not amazing quality, then it's the inspection company that messed up. And that's really not the case. The inspection company, their job is to verify based on your instructions, your checks and, you know, do an inspection. A lot of inspection companies, most of them don't even do that. They just visually inspect the product and that's kind of it. But. Your inspection company, their goal is to do an inspection. Their goal is not to reverse engineer your product and make sure that it's perfect, uh, because they're not engineers. So when it comes down to the overall process, the checklist is super, super important because you, you know, you can have the best inspector on the ground, but if they don't understand your products or they don't know what to inspect, then, uh, you know, you're not going to get a, you're going to, you're going to get a past inspection on a bad batch of products. So in terms of the checklist, there's a couple of things you can do. So first of all, <laughs> Google, Google is your best friend. You know, go on Google and kind of check through the process. Okay. Hey, you know, first of all, what are the most common issues with your product? Go through your negative reviews from your competitors. If you have your product in the market, go through your own negative reviews and kind of understand, okay, what are the biggest problems you're facing in your product category and your product type? Second thing to learn is what are the biggest things that customers like? Now, this is something that a lot of people miss over, but like, you also want to look at the positives. There's a really good story. So uh, the military, um, one time uh, there was a story about this. Uh, they had uh fighter jets coming back to, um, you know, the, um, the boat, uh the, the, aircraft carrier they had fighter jets coming back and they wanted to reinforce the fighter jets because they were like okay hey you know these fighter jets are coming down uh let's uh reinforce where there's the most bullet holes on these jets and uh, they noticed that there were no bullet holes in the center for the most part it was mostly in the wings and they were saying okay let's reinforce the wings and then uh mathematicians said uh you know hey Maybe there are no bullet holes in the middle because those planes are not coming back because those are where, you know, if you get shot there, you know, the plane is done. Maybe we should reinforce every area where there isn't bullet holes. It should be the exact opposite. And, uh, and then they did that and that made a big difference. So it's kind of the same thing with inspections. You do want to reinforce the wings, but you also want to reinforce that body. So you need to know where, you know, customers like your products, where are the parts that customers are actually having good experiences with or good experiences with other products, and then verify that, you know, you're also checking that in your inspection process. You're checking the good, checking the bad, because the inspection process is preventative maintenance. So when something happens to the good, you also want to catch that. So uh, look into that as well and kind of just understand, okay, hey, what are some instructions or things you can tell the inspector to do that maybe you would do on your own product and get, you know, a result? So, for example, for a wooden shelf, maybe you put it up on a, you know, two little cinder blocks or something and then put a 100 pounds in the middle and you want to make sure it doesn't break because, you know, obviously it's a shelf that's the, it's the job, you know. So something like that is uh, an item or check you can do and make sure that, you know, it hits that negative review that, Hey, my shelf broke after four days, you know, Oh, we put a hundred pounds on it. It's not going to break. Or if it's a hundred pounds, uh, the weight limits, a hundred pounds, maybe put put 150 pounds because, you know, 150 pounds, is a little bit more, it should last 150, even though we advertise a hundred, something like that. So that's a great place to start. The next thing is that, you know, use your suppliers to your advantage and this is actually something that's super underrated uh, but let the suppliers do the hard work of putting together the quality control process and checklist for you uh, now it's not going to be like a catch-all but it can definitely help make your job a lot easier and one of the things we highly recommend doing is um, actually going out to um, you know your factory especially in the sourcing stage so kind of you know if you're using like uh you know the your sourcing tool uh, and you're talking with 10 15 different suppliers ask them and say you know hey you know what? Do you have quality control machines? You know, do you have what's your quality control process? What are the quality control checks that you do on your production uh, or post-production to make sure your products are of good quality? And the cool thing is, is during the sales process, all the suppliers want to sell you to choose their factory, so they're not going to like say, "Hey, you know, we only we don't only do one check." They're going to say, "Yeah, we do all of this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this," and you can of dive deep, exactly, and you can dive super, super, super deep into the product. And when you've talked to ten or fifteen different suppliers. And uh, you can ask them if they have equipment, machinery. We actually have a really good um, PDF on this. I don't know, Rhea, if we can link it on uh, in the bottom. We can
1: do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, look out for the PDF. If it's not there right now, come back in a couple of days and I assure you that it will be there. So uh yes, go ahead, Sajak.
0: Awesome, yeah, so we we have this really awesome PDF, which actually has a list of all these questions you can ask your supplier during this stage. Uh, like, do you have equipment? Do you have machinery? So use those questions and ask them to your supplier during the sourcing stage. And they will do the hard work and <laughs> lifting for you. They'll put together like, okay, hey, these are the checks we do. And when you have 15 different suppliers, they have this, you're going to get this huge checklist and you just aggregate the best from everybody. And then boom, you got your inspection checklist. And then you can, whichever supplier you work with, which you'll also have a little bit better clarity to, because, you know, these suppliers are obviously the one with the best quality controls, the one you probably want to work with but uh, you'll have that checklist and then you can work with that final company and also your inspections company, and they'll be able to know exactly what to check and what to look at.
1: Yeah, that was perfect. And thank you so much, Sajak. And, you know, I just want to talk about what happened today. So, you know, uh, we got a client who wanted to know a lot about wood and paper uh for her product. And, you know, we told her that if she wants wood, there's so many different types of wood that your supplier can like, you know, offer. And, you know, there's mango wood, there's teak wood. So if you want teak, you need like um, approvals from, uh, especially India. If you're looking to source from India, you need approvals for teak wood. And then if you are going for mango wood, you need to talk to your supplier if that will work, if you're building a shelf, if if it can hold the amount of weight that just Sajak was just talking about. So it's just not about You know, when you're getting your product done, but you just ask your supplier questions about the materials as well, which is so important. Ask your supplier in the country what material in the country will work the cheapest for you and it can do the job that you're looking for. So I just wanted to put that out there. And um, in the session before, we were talking about sample sizes. So I think so, like sample size is a very important part of um, your product quality check as well. So how does one set up a sample size? And um, let's just talk more about sample sizes now.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I always like to put it in this perspective. So if you go, a lot of people like to kind of, you know, when in the inspection process, they might want to test you a few less units. Uh, you know, because they say, hey, you know, I want to save a little bit of money on my inspection instead of testing 100 units. Let me just do 30. We still randomly sample. It should be all good. But I always like to put it in this perspective. If you have one defective unit. So if your goal is to have a defect rate under one percent, for example, and, uh, you know, you have one defective unit per 100 products, you know, one percent defect rate. Um, how are you going to catch that if you only look at 30 units, because you you have to look at at least 100 units for the probability, the statistic, the statistical model to work in your favor to say, yeah, you'll find at least one defective unit out of 100. And uh, if you're, you know, if you're expecting one out of 100, how easy would it be for the inspector to accidentally pick a good unit, uh, not a bad unit when you're on that one last 100? You know what I mean? It's very possible. So unless you're checking 200 units, realistically, you can't find that one defective unit. And the thing about like negative reviews, like we were talking about also, is that most inspection procedures and most companies like inspection companies will like do use the AQL standard. And the AQL standard is definitely really good. We use the AQL standard as well, but there's levels to the AQL standard and level two, which is the normal inspection level for a lot of sellers uh, in e-commerce is the normal level for brick and mortar sellers. And when you're a seller in brick and mortar, you're selling to Walmart, you're selling to Target. If there's a return, there's a problem, they can just send it back to the store. Even if it's like a 2%, 3 4% defect rate, it doesn't really matter. They just return it to the store. The customer gets an exchange. They still keep your product. And at the end of the day, everyone's still happy. But when you're working on Amazon, if you take a look at some of the best brick and mortar brands, they're doing really badly on Amazon because they don't have good product reviews. And that's because, you know, they are having a higher defect rate than what's allowed in e-commerce. E-commerce sellers, especially Amazon sellers, they're really fussy. And they really demand yep. that, like, extra layer of quality. And same exact thing, like, with, um, you know, the process as well. So, like, when something goes wrong, they'll just return it or they they will ask you for replacement. They're, they have their really high standards. And, you know, with returns, e-commerce returns are actually four times higher than brick and mortar returns. And a lot of people don't know that. But, like, you know, I think the return rate is, like, almost 30, 32 percent or something in e-commerce. And that's generally commerce. Mm-hmm. My hunch is on Amazon, depending on the product category, it could be even higher than that. And brick and mortar is like around 8.3%. So it's like significantly lower. So think about it from like that perspective as well. Like quality requirements are higher and returns are higher. So it's like this kind of this double whammy. So it's kind of the same thing with sample sizes. So you wanna make sure that your sample size is effectively testing your product. Because when you do have that one bad order, It could be your first order. It could be your second order. It could be your 10th order, or it could be every order, or it could be like a consistent decline. Quality fade is a really real thing. Like we've had customers contact us two years after working with their supplier. And on the second year, all of a sudden they get that one bad order and then that bad order wipes them out. Because, you know, when you're spending, you know, even 3K on an order, that $3,000 of defective products, you know, can lead to a lot of negative reviews. It can lead to a lot of problems and uh, returns and warranty claims alone. Uh, you'll pay almost double the actual cost of the products after factoring in all the expenses. So like a $3,000 batch of products, which is like for the smallest and smallest of sellers, like most sellers are going to be doing much more than $3,000 product. If you have $3,000 of defective products, that pays for all your inspections for seven years. Imagine if you're doing yeah. $20,000 products orders or $30,000 product orders, or like when we were doing product orders, $150,000 product orders, that one order happens All your inspections get paid for for decades and decades and centuries, so you want to make sure you're actually catching the problems because otherwise there's really no point to doing an inspection other other than just sending an inspector to the factory. It's almost like the TSA, you know. It kind of works, but it really doesn't because at the end of the day, you know, they they tested it and they put like 170 weapons to the TSA and almost all of them made it through, so it's kind of the same thing. So if you're going to bomb the US, um, it'll be pretty easy. (laughs) But yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I'm shocked to hear about the, you know, return rate on e-commerce. And it kind of makes sense because when you're in brick and mortar, you can feel the product and you can purchase it then. And I think this is where A plus content and your product description comes into role. So, um, if you're not describing your product, um, you know, as it is in the description, I think your return rates are higher, especially when it comes to clothing, because I think clothing is one of the, um, or just fashion is one of the most, uh, you know, return category. So yes, you have to be very, very, um, uh, strict about your size uh, chart and you have to make sure that the quality of the product is adequate. If you're getting your product pictures clicked, make sure that they're not um, misleading to some people. So I think these uh, factors also come into place to reduce your return rate. And if you are getting your products returned they, and if you want to save money, we did a video with Yoni Mazor, and he tells you how you can save up money and get profits from your return. So the video will be linked in the description or it will be on the screen. So go check that out. Okay, Sajak. So I think we're moving towards the end of the session and this is where I want to understand more about your journey as an Amazon seller that you were um in the past and you were a seven figure seller. I want to understand which category you were selling in. And in in today's time, it is very hard for sellers to be innovative. Because as an Amazon seller, you find one product that works for you, but it not might it might not work for you after a few years. So innovation is something that comes into play. So you always have to keep innovating, especially in the e-commerce world. So how how, like, tell me about something about a journey and then how does a seller become innovative and face all the challenges on Amazon for 2021?
0: That's a really good question. A lot to unpack there. So when it comes <laughs> down to my journey, first of all, uh, so first year in business, we did about 40k. Second year we did a million and third year we were on track to do two million that year. And that's when we started having a lot of quality control problems and a lot of issues. Uh, that was around third year. But, um, when it came down to like my overall journey, the biggest reason we were able to grow is kind of exactly what you mentioned, staying innovative, having like custom products and, uh, having our own design and our own brand. And that really carried us through. Uh, all of that growth. And if we still had the brand today and we didn't have those quality control problems, the supply chain issues, which, you know, I'm working to fix with Movavi for other brands, then, you know, we would be doing crazy volumes right now. And really what comes down to like, in terms of my experience for like creating innovation and finding those products, it's really, first of all, understanding your market super, super in depth. So like, for example, the category that we sold in was mainly cell phone accessories. So we sold electronic products, a little bit of electronic products, a little bit of cell phone accessories. We sold a little bit of fabric products like cell phone cases, stuff like that. And we also did a little bit of uh, our own custom engineering. So we're actually working on um, uh, different products in the electronic sector because we're trying to expand out of the cell phone accessories category. So we're working on a lot of other stuff too. But when it comes down to like one of the biggest things that we've seen is actually going through the design of the product. So you can have like the same exact product. And I was talking with somebody about this uh, who's trying a little bit of an experiment there. What they're doing is they're taking five products and then just changing the design slightly and launching the same five products with five different brands. So maybe one brand is targeted to like, um, you know, let's say one brand is targeted to an older person. One brand is targeted to a younger person. One brand is targeted to somebody who cares about, let's say durability. Another one is targeted to somebody who cares about something else. So it's like brands that are focused just towards this like one characteristic. Now I'm not saying that works. So don't, don't use that. That's just experiment right now that he was looking at but that's a really effective ways that's just going into the design of the product so for example like when we were selling a cell phone accessories that's the most competitive field in the whole Amazon when I, like literally the whole and in 2017 we had the number one product in prime day uh, in the category. Uh, even though that, you know, it was the most saturated industry in, in Amazon. And really the, the way we did that is a couple of things. So first of all, creating our own custom designs. So we took products that were already existing and maybe put together our own custom molds, our own custom designs. And then we split tested those custom designs. So we would run it by customers before we made it. Like, Hey, does this design make the product look more durable? Does this design make the product look better? to the target customer that we're working with. And then we split tested it. Like, would you buy this product? Would you buy this product? Would you buy this product? Or would you buy these competitor products? You know, rank which one you'd like. And there's a lot of applications that are really good for that. So we did a lot of split testing and things like that. we found out, okay, hey, this is the best design. And then from there, we did a little bit more. We used data as our advantage. And we basically took those designs and said, okay, hey, now that we have these designs, what is the price point? So then we say, okay, hey, this is like $15. This is like $10. This is $15. This is, you know, $12. Which one would you buy? And we were able to kind of pinpoint exactly what a good price point would be for the product. And we split tested it even after it was launched. And we just really had a design that really catched your eye. So the main image was really good. And then obviously work on really good branding, really good copy and things like that. So really using data to your advantage. That was the biggest thing that we did, uh, when it came to selling well on Amazon. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's kind of the key part. Um, really use data.
1: Yeah. I mean, data is always important. Like when I joined this company, uh, Seller App, my supervisor was just like, in data, we trust. Rest all believe in God. So we only trust data. So you bring me data, I will believe it and then we will take action. And I was like, yes. So I think. As an Amazon seller, A-B test your products, A-B test everything, and then based on data, take your decisions, and make sure that people who are testing your products are not your friends and relatives, because then you're not going to get honest reviews. Believe me, this doesn't work. So make sure that your audience are non-biased, and I think you are good to go then. And uh Sajak, let's talk about innovation now. So how do people stay innovative in 2021, especially challenges that are there on Amazon FBA?
0: Yeah. Uh, so I was actually um, listening to um, this one speaker. I went to a conference earlier and this really resonated with me, uh, which was basically like if once you're in a product niche, so you say, Hey, I want to do a product in this category. And uh, then you look into the design and you say, okay, Hey, you know, we want to improve the design. How can we improve the design? Things like that. Uh, one of the best ways is just obviously, you know, look at the positive reviews, look at the negative reviews, understand you know what is the best in the products that you want to take away. What are the worst in the products you want to take away? and uh the second thing to look at is um you know join niche groups so like if it's a very niche product you can join facebook groups you can join forums on it you can go on reddit you can start asking for feedback like what do you wish we we could improve you know what do you wish you know every product in this category would have if it was up to you things like that and basically foster a community a small community or join a community that already exists uh, around that product and say, okay, Hey, this is what we'd really like from it and look for like, what's the most important features. And then at that point, you can actually work with your suppliers. You can work with, you know, your, yourself, use your own creativity and say, okay, Hey, you know, we have this target. We want to make the product better at this, 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 how do we get to that target? And then it's a little bit more of a process. So you can remove a little bit of the creativity and, um, you know, work more so on, you know, actual process, working with the supplier saying, okay, hey, how can we improve this? How can we improve this? Or working with their engineering team, things like that. One of the other things is like work with a supplier that has an R&D department because uh, those are the suppliers that will be able to make changes to your product, improve your products. And the suppliers without an R&D department, they're not going to be able to help you. And they also probably don't have the engineers in place or the quality control machines or anything like that to do proper manufacturing quality control either. So you want to work with suppliers that have all of those already in place. Uh, But yeah, I would say that's kind of my uh, approach to innovation in a nutshell. And then when we were building our brand, it worked really, really well. And I think in 2021, that's going to be really critical because private label is, you know, we still call it Amazon private label, but no one does private labeling anymore. It's all creating your own products, creating your own brands, uh, bundling things together, kind of doing your own designs, uh, you know, so use data, and, um, you know, understand your product and your market really, really well uh, to be able to create those really awesome products. And I think bundling is also really key. Like one of the things we were yep. doing with some of the products we launched, one of the reasons we were able to double our revenues on our third year is because we started bundling some products together uh, that, you know, were normally bundled, but, you know, were complementary. And if you launch complementary products, there's a saying that if you have product A, you might do 5,000 units a month and product B also if you only had product B you would also be doing 5000 units a month but if they're complementary and you're doing product A and product B now you can have 10000 units a month on product A and 10000 units on product B and then imagine if you had a product C now you've increased it by another uh you know th- you've three you've uh, added another 10000 you know units a month now all products are going to be doing 15k units so creating a brand that's complementary is really really powerful and it really dramatically improves sales
1: Yes, and I personally have prepared a list for sellers that they can do in 2021 and they should be focused on doing in 2021. First, if you don't have a video ad, what are you doing? <laughs> Please get a video ad. It is blowing right now. And I think it's very important for you to have a video ad, especially when it comes to, um, you know, uh, when a person is using your product and if you have a video of that, it is like if your product is in use, that is going to blow up. Second, social media is blowing when it comes to selling on Amazon. So Amazon might integrate, uh you know, social media such as Instagram. Uh, so you can directly purchase your product from Instagram. And I think, getting a influencer macro influencer micro influencers is a buzzing trend so do look into that and third is bundling as Sajak already mentioned so I think these important things should be done in 2021 and you should actually start looking into it also if you want to be the best seller in 2021 seller app is organizing a three day event with um, leading experts in the field so do check that out and follow us on Instagram and other social media channels for more information and stay tuned register for now is free but who knows maybe it will be paid so get your tickets now and Sajak thank you so much for being here I think this was such an informative session and I, I personally have learned a lot about product quality control and I'm kind of chill now I'm kind of calm knowing that everything will be okay taken care by Mowgli. Uh yes and thank you so much for the checklist do look out in the description below for uh, the PDF and I will see you all soon